Welcome to the Expat Rewind. My name is Stephanie and I will be your host in this experience. What we're doing in this podcast is reaching back into the first year of an expat or geopath's existence into something they put online, whether it was via a blog, Facebook, Instagram, any sort of social media feed, or an email that they sent to a group of people that they knew. And then the expat or geopath will reflect on what they think of, what they wrote, what they've learned since then, and anything else that comes up as they're reading that online experience that they posted all those years ago. I will label the podcast as such so you know if it's the ongoing narrative of my own blog or if it's a post from one of our guests. When I lived in the middle of the U.S., I found it really helpful without to live without a car and to use public transportation and to have Amazon deliver things that really, really would don't, don't go on a bus. <laughs> so I found Amazon delivery services really, really useful. And so I'm excited to have an affiliate link with them. Here's how it works. You don't pay anything. You also don't get a discount. But when you shop normally with the link in the show notes that I'll give you, um, I get a slight percentage of what you buy when you purchase something with my Amazon affiliate link. That's it. That is the whole story. I've never done this before, so I'm not entirely sure how well this works. So please do feedback to me. If you if you go to the link and something weird happens, let me know and I will sort it out. Their customer service for this program is actually very quick uh, in responding. So we'll figure it out. I'm pretty sure it's, not, it's, it's uh, a no-brainer. You click on it, you order, you pay, and then I will see some money show up on my account. And considering how much technology I need to get for the podcast, because I'm still working on one of those clip-on shirt mics, um, I, I, I need some funding. <laughs> Let's face it, I can't go on for free forever. We have a few different ways that you can feedback. So if you go to stephfuccio.weebly.com forward slash contact, let me do that a little slower. S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O dot W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com forward slash contact. You'll see all kinds of ways you can contact me and let me know what you think of this podcast. I have email, WeChat if you're in China or uh, have used WeChat before and are still signed up, Twitter, LinkedIn, and my new favorite thing is SpeakPipe. Over on the right-hand side of that page, you'll be able to leave a sound recording, basically a voice message. You just hit the start recording button that's in bright orange and uh, once you preview it and, and decide that you want to send that message, you press send and I receive an email with the voice message. I can also respond in a voice message there as well. It's a really, really cool feature. I can't believe they have this available for free, but until they get smarter about that, I'm going to take advantage of it because it is such a cool feature. Thank you so much. I appreciate all of your input. I am so pleased. So, so pleased to present this interview with Jennifer. I have been thus far doing kind of like a how we met and how they became a, a guest on the podcast kind of introduction up to this point for the guests. And I don't know that that's what is useful for you to hear. So I want to specifically, explicitly ask you, as a listener of these interviews, what do you want to know about the people that I'm talking to in this interview. What do you want to know about their backgrounds? What do you want to know? How short of an intro do you want it to be? I imagine you want it to be short because you want to get to the damn interview and listen to the interesting things that they say. 
But um, until then, I will do this as the chronology of how she came to be sitting in front of me in my apartment talking about this interesting, interesting poem that she wrote uh, while living in China. An American. <sighs> this was a charged conversation, but let me back up a little bit. Jennifer and I hooked up on WeChat, which is the Chinese equivalent to Facebook, only with a million more functions, uh, a few months ago, before summer actually, and then she went away for the summer, and we connected on one of the, I think it was either the California board or the American board or something like that on WeChat, and we started to talk, we were talking about various different book groups, literature groups, those kinds of things she wanted to get. Uh, more information on different kinds of things she could do outside of work in Shanghai. And then when she came back, we set up this interview and, and we met in person. And there's a certain intimacy with going back into people's first year in a country. And in this case, we're, we're going a little bit further than just the first year, but that's fine. Going back to an emotional time in an expat's life is very challenging. When I first meet someone and then we delve into these conversations, it's a very intimate experience. And Jennifer's poem that you're about to hear and that we discuss brings up a lot of different emotions. At one point in the interview, you'll hear me say, well, what emotion have we not discussed? Because there's so much that we talked about. There's so much the poem that she brings to the table for this interview. It was such a springboard for so many different issues that affect expat lives when you live overseas, almost regardless of where you're from. But as us being both Americans, there was a lot of mutual frustration with some current happenings in our quote-unquote home country. But yeah. So things that I wrote down while I was listening to Jennifer's poem were things like envy, prosper, freedom, and cocoon. And I think you'll understand that as you're listening to us talk about it. But that is that is the revelation. So we met, chatted on WeChat for a bit, and then met in person a few months later. Like I said, this delves into a lot of different things with family and friends and relationships and the cost and benefits, but the high cost of living outside your home country. And I think Jennifer really picked the perfect thing to share with you. And I hope you enjoy listening to us talk about and slightly tear up about the things that come out of it. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us today on Expat Rewind. Can you tell our listeners about a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Jennifer. I'm originally from California in the LA area. I've been living abroad for about six years now. I've done a lot of traveling, uh, but I've been here in China for two years. The item that you're going to read today, can you tell us a little bit about what it was, where it was, when it happened? Yeah, so um, for you guys today, I have a poem. So I do a lot of fiction writing, but I was really inspired to write this poem due to some of the events that I've been reading about and also due to some of the changes that my own views have gone through over the years. Uh, so the poem is called, Daddy, Do You Still Believe That? All right. Will you please start? Okay. Daddy, you said to respect the man in the Oval Office, noble, just, and true. You said that office is sacred, deserving of the few. You said not to criticize the leader, noble, just, and true. You said he was a Christian, and we should thank God, too. 
You said the office was above our flaws, noble, just, and true. You compared him to the Pope, a servant of Jesus like you. Daddy, do you still believe that? Noble, just, and true, do not describe the man I see parading round speaking like a fool. You said this country was the greatest, noble, just, and true. You said that we belonged here, every day our patriotism grew. You said the blue and golden passport, noble, just, and true, was the envy of the world for which they all waited in a queue. You said to honor the flag, noble, just, and true. You cursed those who burned the red, white, and blue. Daddy, do you still believe that? Noble, just, and true do not describe the people I see, hatred and violence they spew. You said I should be proud, noble, just, and true, that this land was one of freedom and bravery true. You said I was American, noble, just, and true, that my life was always here in the land of the red, white, and blue. You said I would prosper and be noble, just, and true. You said my dreams would be fulfilled. Wasn't that always your view? Daddy, do you still believe that? Noble, just, and true do not describe the opportunities I see. The wealth is for the few. I said I wanted to go to a new land, noble, just, and true, where people believe in freedom the same way that I do. I said I sought all those people, the noble, just, and true, who fought for human rights and gave medical care too. I see the death of my country, no longer noble, just, and true. You think me ungrateful and distant, but this burns in my soul too. Daddy, do you still believe that noble, just, and true describe the land that you call home when I have left and said adieu? Thank you for that. <sighs> Some things I was thinking of. How far into arriving in China did you, did you write that? Uh, mm. So I wrote this, let's see, about a year and a half mm. into being here. Okay, something like that. About a year and a half. Okay. And did you re revise it for a while after that? Or did you leave I actually it? spent like a day um, making a few edits, working on the rhyme scheme. Mm -hmm. In terms of the content, it never changed. Mm -hmm. uh, really just working on, you know, the wording. Sure, sure, sure. So when did you revisit this after that time period? Um, so I wrote this and then kind of put it away. Just life gets busy. Um, and I kind of looked at it again, not until well, after our first conversation, actually. Started thinking about it and really reflecting a lot about what this poem means to me in my, in my journey. Yeah. Here. And what do you think of it now? I think it makes me sad. Yeah. I mean, I think it was written in frustration. And now every time I look at it, I just think that, and it, it brings me to a point that I just keep thinking about that, that being abroad and living abroad and, and traveling and meeting people from different countries and meeting people from different cultures and different belief systems, it can change you to a point where there's no going back. And that you sort of are disconnected from the former self. Mm -hmm. And in a way, that's a good thing, a beautiful thing, because you're moving forward, you're learning, you're changing. And yet, if your former self is connected to a family, to a past, mm -hmm. that you're somehow broken from, there's also sadness in that, I think. There's a lot to unpack with that idea. There's a lot to unpack with that idea. I've met so many different expats throughout the years in different countries, especially in Asia. and. 
think I make the assumption that I, I, I didn't fit in back in the US and so I assume that other people if they had wouldn't have left and gone elsewhere and sometimes that has come to bite me in the ass so I'll just I'll just <laughs> ask you outright did you feel like you you fit you were you fit in in the US that you wanted to be there before you left like what yes and no so growing up in my community in northern Los Angeles no I, I felt like mm -hmm. I can remember being five six years old mm -hmm. and feeling like I didn't fit in that there was something different mm -hmm. but right before I left the States I was living in Berkeley and there I felt like I fit in perfectly yeah that everything somehow I like I had found my Mecca mm -hmm. basically mm -hmm. uh, my Eden and I loved it there so kind of it's yes and no yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if it was such a good fit and I kind of know the answer offline already but for our listeners why did you leave there's two main reasons <clears throat> one has to do with adventure simply I and, and curiosity, so the, the mm -hmm. desire to see more, the desire to experience more. Mm -hmm. um, by the time I stopped living in the States, I'd already traveled in probably 30 countries. And so I just, I had this longing, this curiosity. Mm -hmm. But also part of it was opportunity and the lack of it mm -hmm. back home, the inability to make ends meet, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of mentioned in the poem that you know, the opportunities that I saw being available back home were either in technical industry mm -hmm. or it involved dishonesty in some way and I didn't really want to be a part of that. What do you mean by that part? Um, I worked at a law firm in D.C. Actually, I worked in D.C. for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, both at an international organization and a law firm. And I saw that money would flow in the direction of self-interest mm -hmm. basically that environmental law department was really defending you know corporations doing bad things mm -hmm. and I didn't I don't believe in that I don't mm -hmm. believe in, in making money doing something that's against your own ethics or morals mm -hmm. why to your father and not somebody else why to so my father and I were very close when I was younger mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think I looked up to him a lot especially politically and I grew up very Republican, very conservative and believed mm -hmm. in that. I mean wholeheartedly believed in that mm -hmm. as a child and even up until the time I probably graduated high school. Mm -hmm. What did that mean for you growing up conservative? What did you believe in? Believed in the Republican Party, mm -hmm. believed in the right to own guns, that was a big part of my family, mm -hmm. and mostly the party itself. I think that was kind of what my father always instilled in me, that mm -hmm. the party is so important and, and defending the party. And there's also the religious aspect of my family, but more than that, it was, it was that identity. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I got to leave that it started breaking down, and it started breaking down very quickly. Mm -hmm. Once I didn't have this voice telling me what to believe or, or who to be in a way, mm -hmm. it started breaking down and the, the conflict comes from the source that you know my father still very much believes these things and he's a man who I find very intelligent, he's, he's not formally educated but who I believe is very intelligent in some yeah. ways and I've, I've had to call that into question yeah. and this poem really does, it's, it's how can you believe that you know with, with the intelligence with the life experiences that you've had how can this continue to be your belief system when I'm younger and yet somehow I figured out a different way of thinking of believing mm -hmm. and we've come into numerous conflicts about ideas and politics and mm -hmm. things over the ages but yeah it's mostly how can someone I, I see as being smart or intelligent believe these things did you share this poem with her? 
No, I have not. You've uh, never shared it with him? No, actually, I've never shared it with anyone until this moment. Oh my goodness, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Are, are you going to give him a little heads up before the... Not that this is so popular, he's going to be hearing about it, but just in case. <laughs> no, no, I don't, yeah. I don't think so. I don't think the odds of <laughs> hearing about it at this point are a little low. <laughs> Wow. Okay, if he did accidentally hear it, what do you think he would say? That's a hard question, actually. Yeah. I think he might be annoyed hmm. on one level, mm -hmm. but I think if he took the time to get over that, mm -hmm. then he might see the sadness in it the way that I do. Mm -hmm. uh, especially the, the... There's this line in the second to last stanza, mm -hmm. you think me ungrateful and distant, but this burns in my soul, too. And... My father's called me many names um, about being selfish and ungrateful and mm -hmm. not, you know, not caring about other people because of the way I live, because of traveling and because mm -hmm. of wanting to be abroad. And I think he underestimates how hard it is on me as well. That yes, of course, I want to be abroad. Yes, of course, I, I love the experiences that I have. <clears throat> but it doesn't mean that there aren't times that I want to cry because there are so many challenges my family is going through, and I'm not there. There is a price yeah. at living overseas. There is a relationship yeah. price that somehow doesn't come across. And it's, it's apparently it's worth it because we keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but, there, but there is a very, very strong price. You miss right. entire periods of people's lives yeah. that you really care about. Why do you think we keep doing it? <laughs> I mean, it's a good question. Yeah. For me, it comes down to, I think, kind of the things I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. I love the adventure. I love the challenges in a mm -hmm. way. Always wanting to seek out differences, not wanting to be stuck in where I came from. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, of course, economic opportunity also drives a lot of what we do, especially here in China. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's a reason I'm here and not in Latin America where I speak the language. Right. It's economy. Yeah. Exactly. No, I, I ping-ponged from Asia to Latin America to Asia to Latin America about two or three times before I was like, okay, that's it. Clearly, I'm not going to work in Latin America. It's the, the economy, the, like there's too many things that were fluid at the same time. Yeah. My work, my landlord's idea of what sensible rent and maintenance were, and my relationships were all fluid at the same time. And I'm like, I can deal with, if one of them is stable, right. I'm cool. I can I can be flexible in the others. But when all three are moving at all, all times, it's just not my comfort zone. And so I just kind of had to give up on being in a place where I felt more comfortable. Right. For a place that was more prosperous, where I wasn't necessarily more comfortable. And, and then it shifted, and I do feel much more comfortable in Asia. But it just, there are those choices. Right. That you don't realize at first few times. Opportunities, opportunities. Did your father grow up in the U.S.? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, so my family's from California <coughs> for a few generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was what he thought about the U.S., the stuff he was teaching you about, like, to be proud of it and how good it was, was that true during most of his life? Do you think he was passing down what he experienced? I, I actually am not sure. So, a uh, little back information about my father. Uh, he came from a very difficult situation growing up, mm -hmm. uh, and he was even kicked out of his home mm -hmm. at 16 and was told, you're a man, you know, grow up and, right. and take care of yourself. And so, for a man with no education mm -hmm. and no stable home life, mm -hmm. The fact that he was able to have a family, support that family, have his own business that's for many years. Yeah. Um, but that's come to kind of 
home because my family lost everything in the housing crisis of 2008. My father's in the housing business. We also lost our home. And I mean, and that's part of the inspiration for this. Like, how can you still believe in this system and this government mm. when you literally lost everything? And yes, this country let, well, that country, <laughs> the U.S., <laughs> let you build, but it also stripped you bare. Pretty quickly, a lot of times. Pretty quickly. Yeah. I suppose, I mean, that can happen anywhere. It can, but it feels like, and I know this isn't true because there are a lot of places with a low safety net, but it feels like for what we have and the resources we have, our safety net is ridiculously low. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that that even brings up like um because I mentioned in the poem, fighting for human rights and medical care too. Yeah, like oh, because you know yeah. these are, and that's I mean it's one of the reasons I left the states and haven't Me gone too. back. Me too. <laughs> <sighs> that, I could talk about that for about five yeah. Hours. We <laughs> I'm sure we both could. Oh my god! No, I had I had sur- I've said this on a different podcast. I had surgery my first semester of my master's and I had surgery the first semester different ones first semester of my PhD okay and for both of them it took me a while to pay off what the insurance that I had through the universities didn't as a matter of fact uh, the second surgery we were in we were in the PhD program for about two years and I was paying monthly thank God they at least had that for the part that the insurance didn't cover it's not like I wasn't insured and it still took me about a year after I came to China to pay off the rest like that's for what they just didn't cover right. and, a, and a major right. surgery that the doctor recommended to keep me alive. I mean, it's just like, what just happened? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I was trying to go back, use the PhD as a way to get back into, you know, setting up a community and a life and, and kind of reintegrating back into the U S cause I'm like, okay, maybe it's time that our overseas adventure is done. And then that happened. And I went, Oh no, I, I think we're, both, yeah. we're, 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 we're still fighting. The U.S. and I are still fighting about if I can ever live here long term. <laughs> yeah, that's a solid question. Yeah. And that's when we all have to ask ourselves, yeah. like, do we go back? Mm-hmm. And for me, right now, the answer is no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's so, so complex. So, yeah, opportunities, adventure and opportunities, adventure and opportunities. Yeah. I wrote down envy, prosper, freedom. And it's funny because okay. you pointed out the the sadness you've pointed out yeah. the sadness a few times and I was thinking of the things that that your dad was teaching you and the the things that you thought about the places you were going to and how parallel those like his idea of the U S and your idea of elsewhere right how is the understanding of why you're doing what you're doing with your father now I, at this point my my family is happy for me it took it was a journey yeah. I mean really it went from you know, as I mentioned before, many negative comments, many very terrible things mm-hmm. being said. I think, in a way, my family has realized that I'm better off mm-hmm. abroad, that I'm happy, mm-hmm. that, I mean, I've, they've seen that I've gone through many challenges. They know that certain countries have worked out better than others for me. Yeah. And China has been, so far, the one that's really worked out very well for me, and they, they see that. Yeah. But I think, especially... Um, Especially telling them I was moving to China, mm-hmm. I think was so foreign for them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, isn't China that poor country where people don't have enough to eat? <laughs> where they that. don't have access to anything because everything's blocked off and banned and right. not allowed. And, you know, yeah. And so <laughs> poor that was the, and dirty. That was yeah. the impression that, you know, <laughs> they had. But I think they've really come a far way yeah. in realizing that this is my life. And 
I know I know it affects my mom I think even more though because I think she misses me and, and wishes I was there but she's also happy yeah that I've I've found a life where I'm not struggling yeah, 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 yeah. especially now that they're struggling so much how are they doing anything <laughs> yeah I just I'll just yeah. say things are very very difficult and yeah and that's why this poem is sort of a double-edged sword because it's on the one hand it's this feeling that I have that seeing my family and thinking god how how are you in this position mm. but then also feeling so much sympathy yeah and and, and sadness about the situation yeah. that they're in and then the way things are there is, I like to call it expat guilt, there is this yeah. feeling of, I'm doing really well here, Yes. and do you have any of that? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I see, I see everyone struggling. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like people back home, they don't get out of the rut, like, and yeah. then, and even, you know, if they get married and they have kids and they're just always struggling they're always struggling to pay off loans to to get the house and then there's so many distinct goals that you need to have back home and yeah. and how do people do it and yeah so I have the skill that my life is much easier mm -hmm. and that I'm also so far away from their struggles from their reality yeah it's hard for me to connect to it yeah yeah when we have family stuff going back home, we think, okay, maybe this is the time we need to go back. And then we think, well, wait, we know the jobs we can get there. We know the life we would have. We would be so struggling ourselves that we couldn't actually help. So it's not actually useful for us to, to ponder that for that purpose. Like, it doesn't make yeah. sense. It feels like such a weird thing to me. <laughs> like, my parents are, were, were, it's been almost 50 years, 50, 60 years now. They were Italian immigrants. Oh, okay. Got citizenship, et cetera, et cetera. They had, I think, junior high education. I don't know how. It's, it, the story has changed in my head a few times since my childhood <laughs> from what they told me to what might have existed, but they ended up with like owning property and a business and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, whoa, they, they, they did it. Dream. They did yeah. the American dream. But I didn't feel that when I was in it. Even when I moved to California when I was like 19 years old and there was a lot more opportunity than the small town I grew up in, I still didn't feel like that was going to be, I felt like it was always trying to keep up with not failing, with not being broke, not being on the street. Like it was just really hard all the time. Yeah. I don't feel that overseas so much. No, I mean, but yeah. the thing is, we're also sort of in a, a different class. We're mm -hmm. also some, I'd say, semi-elite, right? Yeah. I mean, we're definitely not the top of the top, especially in Shanghai. Especially in China. Yeah. Especially in tier one cities in China, we're 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 not poor, but we're definitely not at the top. The top yeah. here's high. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. But we're but just and I had this conversation very recently with some other friends. But just being a foreigner. Mm -hmm somehow sets our lives just a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. You know, being the immigrant, having some outside information or skill or whatever, mm -hmm. we, we have this advantage and yeah. is it fair? I don't know, but then also we pay the price yeah. coming here. We lose the connections, we miss home, we, we go through all of that, so yeah. Hey expats and geopats, what do you do with the annoying paper mail that you get? to your old addresses in your home country. For a few years, I'd have all of my mail forwarded to one friend and then I'd feel guilty for bothering them so much. So then I'd have a family member um, deal with my mail and so on and so forth. And I did this for about like, what, 12, 13 years. 
and it got annoying and let's face it I missed some mail because people have better things to do than look after my paper correspondence so I finally broke down and got a service from traveling mailboxes they will literally receive your mail you get a US address you get to pick the city that it's in and you receive mail and they'll let you know when the mail comes in they'll open it scan it for you so you can read it if you really need to they'll forward it to you for a fee you can also get packages delivered as well and so there's like a variety of different services that you can have where you don't have to keep bugging your friends and family to deal with your paper mail so if you go to stephfuccio.weebly.com it's s-t-e-p-h-f-u-c-c-i-o dot Weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y.com. If you go to the bottom, you'll see the blue ad on the right, Traveling Mailbox. Click on that. I am now an affiliate program with them, so if you join their services, we both end up very, very happy campers, and you never have to ask your friends or family to receive your mail again. It's truly a beautiful thing. I don't know. And supposedly with the... Because they have so many, a couple of generations now of kids going, kids, people going overseas and studying and coming back, yes. and acquiring skills and language and, and just general like global connections. There, they don't need as many as true. people from outside the country. So, is this even going to be the land of, of opportunity for foreigners in the future? I'd say probably not. Yeah, I think the days are numbered. Yeah, but I think we're here at a good time. Yes, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're making the most yeah. of, of a good situation. For sure. When you reread it like a month month or two ago? Yeah, met, about that, yeah. What was the most surprising part of the poem for you then? Did anything surprise you? It's a good question. I think maybe the voice, the way that it's sort of this mix of childlike innocence mm-hmm. with adult perspective, with sadness, mm-hmm. but with this hope so the way that it's all kind of there I think it took it took reading again because when I when I first wrote it I think I was very focused on the the, the father aspect and mm-hmm. the, the the divide between my family and myself in terms of our beliefs and everything mm-hmm. but I think the poem says a lot about me you know obviously it, it talks about my father and it's it's obvious things he believes in especially in the very beginning of the poem but how telling it is of myself and my mm-hmm. own journey and I think that I didn't see. It's kind of like a story of losing identity, finding identity again mm-hmm. and having some hope. Which is almost ironic because we kind of were saying that the United States was the land of hope and now I'm finding hope by leaving it. Right. It feels so ironic. And yet I, I keep hearing this narrative over and over and over. Like, this is not what I was expecting. <laughs> like, okay, okay. That last part that you said about, it says a lot about your journey. Can you dig into that some more? So, I mean, I think it says a lot about the journey that one takes kind of to adulthood. In a way, it's almost a coming of age. Mm-hmm. The the separating the, the no longer seeing your, your parents as the gods, right? Mm-hmm. And, and seeing them for their flaws. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I always had this sort of, like, different ideas about things, but not about specifically politics or mm-hmm. about, you know, th- about the U.S., because I believe the U.S. was an amazing place. Mm-hmm. And so my journey has been in part a journey of 
losing oneself to find oneself. Mm-hmm. Hero's journey. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> exciting. <laughs> there you <Woo-hoo>. go. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the loss of, of all the, because, you know, as people, we have all these identities, right? Mm-hmm. And we can, we can put these identities with words. So Republican, American, Christian, or mm-hmm. Catholic in my family's case, you know, good student. All mm-hmm. these things are our identities. Sure. And, and breaking them down. And then my journey was, well, okay, if I'm not going to be all these things, what am I going to be? Mm-hmm. And I found a lot of that through travel and living abroad. Mm-hmm. So... And I think it's still in flux. Like I think our identities oh, of course, yeah. are, and and I think we underestimate that sometimes when we're young. At this point, my identity is much that of an expat, mm-hmm. and um, not just living here in Shanghai, but the fact that my boyfriend and I are planning on buying a place in France and and making our life there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know that France is perfect at the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no place is perfect ever. <laughs> so you're good. Yeah. It's had better days, let's put yeah, it that yeah. way. Oh, sure. But just, yeah, the identity is, is no longer, I would say even American. I mean, mm-hmm. I identify first as of the world, mm-hmm. second as Californian. Mm-hmm. You know, American's not really an identity for me. Mm-hmm. Like, unless I'm talking linguistic difference with a teacher from England, then mm-hmm. okay, sure. But, yeah. yeah. 38 countries. So you traveled to 38 countries before you started living overseas. Did I hear that Something right? like that. I, yeah. I, I'm not sure exactly how many. It's, it's at 76 at the moment. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Generally speaking, um, do you stay in a country for a few days, a few weeks, for months? Like, how long? It really depends. I mean, yeah. some places, you know, as little as... Three days, mm-hmm. I think, is kind of the least. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's been months, mm-hmm. but yeah, I usually try to spend at least at least a week in yeah. smaller countries, at least two sure, sure, weeks sure, sure. or more in in larger countries. Part of my not so hidden agenda with this podcast <laughs> is that there's so little about the non-business expat out there in the world, and I think people really misunderstand our lives. So is would you say there's a really there's a difference between your understanding or feeling of a country when you're just traveling in it versus living in it? Yeah, I mean absolutely. So when you're traveling and it depends on the way you travel and where you go sure. and obviously all of those things. Mm-hmm. But when you live somewhere I mean even so China for example, I don't speak any Chinese. Mm-hmm. I mean I really none and I'm I am always an outsider. I'm always looking in, mm-hmm. you know, that almost like a window, right? And so I feel like even living here, I never get the full picture of China, but obviously when you live somewhere, you have more interaction mm-hmm. with with different types of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you really get the difference. When you're traveling, you're going to interact with the same kind of basic, you know, hotel people mm-hmm. or bus drivers mm-hmm. or grocery store, you know, those kinds of things, but living somewhere, like I said, even when you're so on the outside as I am here, mm-hmm. you you feel the daily life. Mm-hmm. You see people's daily routines. Like even if it's just um, seeing all the old men that hang out in the like common area mm-hmm. of my building, <laughs> like smoking their cigarettes, sitting in all these like half broken chairs <laughs> every day. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's, you just get a different feel. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. I enjoy that. Me too, me too, me too. 
I mean, I don't want to put one above the other, but the, it feels like a very different experience to me, even as far as the introspection. Like, you put me on a train and my brain just starts going. And I, I get, for some reason, that's my place where I think about yeah. the world, the life, the big picture. Like, everything just comes out of me. And that's great. Living, But living overseas, it does that, but in a longer way and kind of in a deeper way. Yeah. So it just, yeah, it's very, very different. Yeah, because, I mean, if you, if you just go travel... Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think about the first time that I really did my, my big backpacking trip. I, I traveled in Europe a little bit. I'd studied abroad in Spain. Mm -hmm. And then I did a big backpacking trip um, at 22 mm -hmm. in Latin America for about a year. Wow. And, you know, obviously it changed me a lot. It changed my perspective. Sure. But it didn't... It wasn't the same feeling. Even though I did spend actually several months at a time in some of the countries. Mm -hmm. and so I got a bit deeper. Mm -hmm. It's not the same as the way you change living in China, mm -hmm. even though at the, when I came to China, I'd already been to 70 countries. I mean, I'd already seen a lot. I'd already yeah. changed yeah. so much. Yeah. Sometimes we don't necessarily change in good ways. And I feel like sometimes <laughs> <laughs> that's my problem that I have in China. <laughs> and it happens. <laughs> I think somehow maybe my reactions to things going on around me in China sometimes make me a worse person. But... Not to say that it's China, but it's Ex my reaction. Expat stress is real. Sometimes it just builds up too high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're human. I mean, that's the thing. We're not always going to be open-minded culturally just because we're from a place and we're coming in. We don't... That doesn't make us perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And they certainly aren't... They, as if I can lump 1.4 1.6 billion people in one category. Yeah, but, yeah. But locals and foreigners, as if those are the only two groups, aren't necessarily always forgiving and patient with each other. And that's life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Would you write this today? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, because even though since this, um, some things have gotten more complicated with my family, mm -hmm. and I, I think I have more of the guilt and the sadness mm -hmm. than even when I wrote this, I would still write it because I still question. I still question mm -hmm. how people back home and yes it's, it's addressed to daddy but at the same time it's addressed to to all the people back home yeah, yeah. you know how and it's something that I, I think I think about a lot I mean I really when I write it's, it's about social and political issues that that is what my writing is about mm -hmm. it's been that way since I was in high school <laughs> <laughs> so yes I think I think I would Maybe maybe not addressing it directly to my father just because mm -hmm. everything going on in my family. But I think that's actually what gives this poem the power. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it so... I don't know how to say. Just... Like, it brings it home. Mm -hmm. Having it directed directly at, at Dad. Yeah. Right? But no, I don't think I'd really change much. I think every point that I make in here is just as valid today as it was, what, about five months ago when it was written. Okay, did I hear you right that you just said that you're more frustrated now than when you originally wrote the poem? I mean, the situation with my, with my family has mm -hmm. gotten more difficult. Mm -hmm. I think my level of frustration in terms of what's going on back home, mm -hmm. I think insane is the new normal in terms of... And so it's almost yeah. like... It's Doing politically not, back in the U.S.? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gotten to a point that it's so insane that it's almost not believable. Like, mm -hmm. we're living in this fantasy world. Yeah. And so it's hard to get more frustrated or more mm -hmm. disconnected from mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Because we're already like, this is 
an Orwellian novel, what is going on around us. So, I mean, I think that remains rather constant mm -hmm. um, and has since the elections. But, yeah, and I do go up and down in terms of how much I can care. Like, there are some days that it tears me apart, and there are some days I just have to block out the emotion, just can't deal with it. Wait, it being... The situation and the feelings about the situations back home. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's intense. I actually went on a media blackout for a little while after Trump got elected, and it just coincidentally happened about... Well, the election happened about a month before we left the U.S. Not intentionally, it was mm. actually a blessing in disguise. We were planning to leave anyway. <laughs> And I thought we'd leave and things would get better with Hillary and da 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 da, da and then uh, it all went down and I went, oh my god, thank goodness we're leaving. And then guilt for the people left behind that have to deal with it, and then anger at the people that made it happen. And I still am not dealing with the anger of people that made it happen, because I feel like we were kind of working on some stuff, and now I feel like we're just going backwards, like, big and fast. Yeah, it's a huge regression. Yeah, and the thing is, I kind of I don't, years ago I remember actually I think it was when Obama first got elected. Mm -hmm. I remember saying there will be a regression. Yeah, because that just is the the trend that we've sure. had politically in the United States for so long. Yeah, and I didn't think the regression would be this. I didn't know what this looked like. I I was like, yeah, there's going to be a, a a forward forward two back one kind of thing steps wise, and okay, fine, but this feels much worse than that. I don't know. I don't know. Like, how how low can we go? It's, it's hard. And, and the problem is, in my opinion, that that we are so divided. So even, I mean, bringing it back to the, the idea of the poem, even within a family, mm -hmm. being so divided and, you know, not wanting to even touch these subjects mm -hmm. because how do you have this conversation when you're standing on two sides of this gorge and you will literally never, you can scream from each side, but you'll never hear each other. Yeah. When the Gulf War hit, I was in my senior year of high school and I was pretty, not anti-government, but definitely anti-war. And I went and protested downtown and it got on the news. My brother was in the Air Force. We didn't talk for years. He couldn't discuss it. He couldn't. <sighs> We weren't super tight beforehand, so I have to do that disclaimer. We were five years apart, and there was a lot of crap in my family, and it's not like we were super tight, and then it just all ended. It was a pretty eh relationship to begin with. Okay. But then it got intentionally cold, and we couldn't even talk about it. And I was like, well, shouldn't we at least discuss it? Shouldn't we know where we're coming from on both sides? And he was just like, no, you're wrong. I'm doing this to protect all of you. And I was like, yeah, but, 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 and I wanted to have that discussion and it would not happen. And I don't think it even still happens. <laughs> like we're on a talking basis now, but it took a long time for him to get over. He thought I was, it was a slap in his face. Like he was risking his life and I was protesting his actions of risking his life. And what I was thinking, even at 17, was much bigger than him. Right. And so, yeah, those divides. Are crazy. <laughs> They're crazy. Yeah, to me. yeah. I mean, yeah. We're, we're just dealing with this polarism that's mm -hmm. out of control. And and, yeah. and how do we have this conversation? I mean, how could we sit here and have this podcast if we were on opposite ends right. of the belief spectrum? What, what would we say to each other? I don't know. Like, how <laughs> could we talk about this? Yeah. 
without it getting somewhat messy. Yeah, it has to get messy. I mean, we're we're kind of a nation of diversity in a way. Well, at least we were. I don't know what we currently look like. Because <laughs> uh, we kicked, we've kicked a lot of people out in the past few. And prevented new yeah. people from coming. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yes, yeah. we're still diverse in many, many ways, yeah. but the elite is becoming more powerful in terms of what they're able to exercise. Mm-hmm. And marginalized groups are becoming increasingly marginalized. That doesn't sound like the United States, at least not the one we claim to be. Right? It's not the narrative I grew up with. And I don't know if that narrative was even true, but it really doesn't feel true anymore. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're a melting pot. No, are we? <laughs> we're a variety plate with each little part in its own section. Right? <laughs> oh my God. Like those Tupperwares that yeah, have yeah. all the different mm-hmm. compartments. Yes. That's what we are. Yeah. Departmentalized yeah. Tupperware. Yeah. <sighs> those plates that the kids get, you know. Yeah. Their macaroni and cheese doesn't yes. touch their mashed potatoes. See, but that would actually taste good. The sauce from the macaroni and cheese on the mashed potato. Yeah, I know, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Anything <laughs> with mac and cheese. <laughs> oh my god, I miss Whole Foods mac and cheese. I'm not a huge mac and cheese person in general, but for some reason, I think it's because the cheeses they add in there. Mm. Did you ever have that? I think I ever had that. I didn't really shop at Whole Foods for <laughs> price reasons. For yeah, yeah. There are certain things that are actually the same price better quality and then okay. there's a lot of stuff that's really pricey and in their hot bar they have the salad bar and the hot bar the hot okay. bar just for some reason has this insanely gooey multi-cheese thing it's beautiful if if mm-hmm. if and when you go back to to visit right, find your stop. way to a whole foods and just try the mac and cheese i don't know why yeah. it's so good but it is probably handle that and they don't have it i went to london this year, and they have a Whole Foods, and they did not have it in their salad bar. And I know regional, it's they wouldn't have gone American, yeah. yeah, yeah. But oh my god, it's really good. <laughs> you can and, taste the different cheeses. And there are all those things that we connect to mm-hmm. as as Americans mm-hmm. in terms of things that we miss, things that we yeah. love about our country because we grew up in that country, and and we do love it. Yeah, yeah. Being an expat doesn't mean that you hate your country mm-hmm. or that you don't miss aspects or that you don't want aspects of it in your life. Yeah. It means that you have maybe different views or you're searching for something more. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, growing up, probably you did this too, you met people from all over the place or people's parents were from all over the place. So you met, you, there were people around you that were from different places. And for me, that got me thinking, I want to go there. And so how can you grow up in a place that diverse and not want to see it firsthand? We didn't really have that diversity. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, we had we had Mexicans. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's LA, but yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, segregated as we we mentioned earlier. Sure, sure, sure. But um but, but did you take any trips as a kid like to different parts of the US or we went to Disney World. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there were probably different kinds of people at Disney World. Disney World was pretty expensive. Just still. No yeah. Problem. Yeah. I maybe. Know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem. Ah, perspectives are so different. My first city was New York City. Wow. And then we moved to Pennsylvania. Okay. Which is just, yeah. At the time, as whitewashers one could get, except for the help. Oh. And the one Italian family, which was mine. So we were the ethnic diversity in my neighborhood. Oh, wow. Which was really weird, because I was used to there being a community of Italians around us. And then suddenly, there were all these, like, Pennsylvania Dutch, very white, very middle class 
very careful, conservative people that I didn't know how to relate to, and they never laughed, so I wasn't sure if I wanted to. <laughs> I was like, you people don't seem like a lot of fun. You don't have block parties. I don't know what's happening here. I can imagine with the Italians coming in. They must have been shocked. Oh, oh it, was, it was something. Just our hair alone was just a nightmare for them. They, were just, they had issues. <laughs> so when you first came to China, yeah, you had all these views of Republican California, believe what I grew up with kind of thing. Not consciously, not like when you got on the plane, you said, I'm going to keep these ideas, but you had them when you came here. No, not when I came to China. Oh, not when you came to China. Okay. No, no, no. I mean, I, I dumped that stuff. I dumped, <laughs> I dumped that. Uh, <laughs> Several years before, so I think I mentioned before when I lived in Spain, yeah, yeah. it really started to change my ideas. Oh. And then backpacking in in South America, I met a lot mm -hmm. of people from a lot of different countries. Really mm -hmm. questioned religion, God, yeah, politics, yeah, yeah. everything. And I think it was when I was there that I really lost the American identity. Ah, interesting. In 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 America, you lost the American <laughs> identity. <laughs> Did you lose it slowly over time, or was it a quick switch? Kind of both. I think certain parts mm -hmm. I lost slowly without noticing. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I mean, I do remember very clearly this day mm -hmm. that I knew I didn't believe in the religious aspect of my life anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was sitting in a church listening to the priest talk, and mm -hmm. I remember thinking, I don't believe a word he's saying. Well, so maybe that build-up was gradual, but definitely the realization was, was very sudden and mm -hmm. very memorable mm -hmm. because I, I've never gone to church since. Whoa. <laughs> okay. But in terms of losing the, the American identity and living abroad, I mean, I think it, it transferred to the Californian identity mm -hmm. and specifically um, when I came back from Latin America, I was mm -hmm. able to go move up to Berkeley mm -hmm. where I felt like I would fit in better. Yeah. And so my, my identity was very much Berkeleyan. And, and that culture and that sort of oh, subculture. Yeah. yeah. Berkeley, Berkeley. <laughs> I should know that time. Why do I not know that time? That's how deep in the city I was. What? That place over there. Across um, <laughs> the bridge. Yeah. That lovely place that actually has summer. Unlike San Francisco. Well, more so. Yeah. A little bit. We still get the fog. Cause, yeah. Because the bridge is right there. It comes straight through. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Oakland gets summer. Okay, that's Berkeley probably, doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I assume that since they were both over there, they would both get it. Because you're literally straight through the gap of the Golden Gate Bridge. That's a bitch. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, whatever. <laughs> it's still a lovelier place. <laughs> I loved it. It was a wonderful place. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good people. What would it take for you to consider living in the U.S. again? What would need to change? If this conversation isn't politically charged enough, let's just throw the atomic bomb at this. Sure. California separation. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> Except for I don't have residency anymore, so that oh. would make me a foreigner. But I'd still love it because I, I would work my way into getting residency. Anyway, sorry, why, why, why? Because I, I believe there are a lot of people in California who believe mm -hmm. what I do about this this way of improving mm -hmm. the United States mm -hmm. and, and taking care of people and changing the system mm -hmm. so fully and completely to be a system that respects mm -hmm. humans and their individuality mm -hmm. and and the planet, and culture, mm -hmm. and languages, and all those things that matter to me. I think, especially in, in Northern California, we have a lot of that. Of course, there are many Californians that, that are not. Many, many, many. Obviously many. Yeah. Orange County is an interesting place. 
And Orange County is yeah. just like where I grew up. I mean, they're, they're just mirrors of each other. Yeah. So I think, you know, theoretically, if that day were to come, mm -hmm. you know, that would be the time to come home, call. Mm -hmm. But other than that, yeah, I don't, I don't see anything that's going to bring me back. I mean, unless teachers suddenly get paid double and housing is cut in half and, mm. and Berkeley gets more sun in the summer. <laughs> Yeah, and not intentionally to diss people in, in Orange County. There are lovely people everywhere in the world. Just uh, overriding feel of a place, and that's a very personal thing. Orange County for me was very, very, very mon very conservative feeling. That's my own thing. So yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't want to piss anybody off, but uh, yeah. Well, it, but this is a very charged conversation, it so is. some people yeah. will definitely disagree. Well, it's current. <laughs> I mean, if they've found this podcast, yeah. they're listening about an alternate lifestyle anyway. So right. who knows? Maybe they're ready to think about something differently. Would you like to go back to something you put online your first year in a new country? Maybe it reflects your struggles. Maybe it reflects your honeymoon period. Maybe it reflects all of those. It could be something visual like photographs, an Instagram feed with pictures, Facebook. It could just be written tweets over the course of the year. It could be a blog. We certainly aren't going to abandon that completely in season two. We're just going to add more to it. If you're doing a YouTube channel or something along those lines, we could review those videos that you did that first year. It's really, really open to whatever it is that you put out into the world about your expat experience, that first challenging, intense year, that roller coaster ride of a year. I want to interview you. Let's just do it. Let's do it. Contact me at stephfuccio, S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O at gmail.com. If you didn't write that down, all the information's in the show notes. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy the rest of this conversation. So you mentioned that there was a common theme in your writing similar to this. Yeah. Um, are, are you still writing now? Just because of my schedule with teaching and doing the master's degree sure. at the moment, no. But, oh my God, I can't wait <laughs> until the master's degree is done and I can focus on writing again. Yeah. I put it aside for a long time because I was I was on the road for three years. Uh, yeah. Doing the, then I was doing the credential and the master's. Anyway, yeah. So anyway, long story short... I have not delved into my writing as much as I'd mm -hmm. like to. There have been a couple of vacations where I've like really gotten back into it, and then mm -hmm. I feel so good, and then reality hits again. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I, I wrote I wrote a, a rather long short story, mm. uh, just uh, maybe a week or two after Trump got elected, mm -hmm. about the consequences. Um, it, it it plays on religious themes as well, so the consequences in heaven of Trump mm -hmm. getting elected, and then um, a sort of faux zombie apocalypse coming about mm -hmm. that it can only be cured by hot sauce but we built a wall so the Mexicans are unable to provide us with any hot sauce so um, I like satire <laughs> that's awesome oh my god I want to see that made into a video that's awesome I love the hot sauce aspect of that <laughs> so uh, Trump sees Jesus yeah. Jesus appears to Trump to tell him to you know be more kind to immigrants and things but he thinks that Jesus is a zombie so <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> but yeah, so so when I can write it, I do, yeah. and and it's always it's somewhat political, yeah. um, somewhat social in terms of, yeah. you know, religion is always a huge theme in my work mm -hmm. um, you know, because of my background, yeah, 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 and also racial 
injustice mm -hmm. and those things and, and prison injustice, the mm -hmm. incarceration system and, and things like that. I don't know why they just have clung to me yeah. so strongly, but they have. They yeah. can't can't escape those things. Our formative years are powerful. Yeah, and it's it's. I, I feel like at this point, it's almost impossible to escape the things that affected us super early on. The best we can do is constantly address them, talk to them, stroke them. <laughs> It'll be okay. <laughs> Education reform. <laughs> get in touch with my creative side, the more I feel like I'm going back to my childhood, and not just in the sense of play, but in a sense of, I used to like doing that. I used to like doing that. Yeah, I've, I actually did that when I was a kid with very different technology, but wait a minute, where did I, what happened there? And not that anything went wrong, it's just like, I feel like sometimes things go, get very cyclical. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite the hero journey that you've had. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just feels like things come and go theme-wise in our lives. Do you have a favorite part of the poem? And favorite doesn't necessarily have to, have to mean happy or... Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the end for me, because to me it's the strongest, it really strikes at what I feel. It's also, it's, it's expressing some frustration, some sadness, like how can you be so happy with this system mm -hmm. when your own daughter left the country mm -hmm. because of this and, and isn't going to return. Mm -hmm. I'm not coming back. You're okay with that? Mm -hmm. You're okay with supporting a system? And, and this goes beyond one man. This, mm -hmm. this is a system. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you're okay with, with believing in this system when clearly you've seen it doesn't work and it's, it's caused family to, to separate. Mm -hmm. How are you okay with that? Yeah. So I think to me, because it's it's getting to the very deepest sentiment, something that I, I could never actually say to my father, mm -hmm. that's probably my favorite part. And, and the part where I say, like, this burns my soul too. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's always underestimated. I know we said a little bit about it before, just how, yes, we're expats and we have this wonderful life and we go to brunch and we travel and all those things. Yeah. <laughs> but, like... Don't think that just because we're traveling, that just because we're doing all these things, that we don't feel pain or mm -hmm. that everything is perfect. Mm -hmm. Like living abroad, traveling abroad, even mm -hmm. you know, backpacking, whatever it is, there are perfect moments, despite what people on Facebook want you to think. Yeah. Like, so don't don't think that this is just, you know, I'm not giving a shit. I'm just in my la la land. Yep. So. Yeah. I'm going to do a shameless plug. I'm sorry, Jennifer. <laughs> in Virtual Expats Podcast, we actually address a lot of these things and ponder an expat's technical journey online as well as their journey geographically. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you just set me up. How can sorry, I not do sorry. that? <laughs> that was my radio voice. Um, so, so hard because I moved overseas for the first time, like, to, for a daily existence overseas in 2003. Okay. And... I shifted from doing like really overly cute, trying to be funny travel writing to more like daily life. This is what it's like to live overseas for me right now, right here kind of stuff. And still people, when I go home or when I talk to people, they talk to me like, you're always having a good time. 
you're always traveling, you're always this. And yes. I do travel when I live overseas, which is slightly a mind bender of its own. But it's hard to convey that I do normal things on a daily basis, that they do in a normal, on, in a normal basis, just in a different country. And I think that's part of what you just tapped into, is it's yes. not pretty all the time, it's not great all the time, it's not no. bad all the time, it's, it's a daily existence elsewhere. Right. How do we get that across to people? <laughs> you know, it's funny, because just this morning, I had this conversation with my mom, mm. and she was like, oh, so how have you been doing? I'm like, just busy, just working all the time. Yeah. And my mom's like, you can't say that, you travel all the time. And I'm like, I mean, I yeah. do travel more than most people, let's, let's be very honest yeah. about that. Yeah. But like my day to day between, you know, teaching four different grades and doing a master's degree. Yeah. Whew, I mean, it's it's intense. Yeah. And then yeah, and then I've got to cook and I've got to clean and mm-hmm. you know, and go to the vegetable market and haggle with the ladies and that's fun. But yeah. still, it's work and ride my bike everywhere and that and take the metro and that takes a long time. Yeah. And there are inconveniences and I've got to not fall in the trenches of my building right now. Oh gosh. <laughs> It's construction season yeah, it's, in Shanghai. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard to get that across to yeah. people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even if I send pictures of the trenches that we currently have outside of my door, yeah. you know, they think, "Oh, that's strange." But they, it's hard for them to make that connection of. Is it because Americans don't travel that much, or is it just because you're not there that it must be that different? Like. I don't know. What do you think it is? I think when you've never been somewhere, and when you've never kind of been almost anywhere yeah. except for home, yeah. you have maybe this image in your head, and, and it's hard to form that image mm. in any sort of different way. It's mm-hmm. hard to connect. I mean, I remember even living in Korea and thinking about what my life would be like when I came to China, and there's this huge disconnect in terms of what would my life be like? Was it going to be buying noodles on the streets? Mm-hmm. I mean, because yeah. I'd seen that in a movie about for like that was supposed to be the 1950s, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they've all got their little thermoses and their rice things. And <laughs> like, okay, is that my life? Mm-hmm. Like, what? You just don't yeah. see the details. Maybe you see the buildings, but you don't see the, the street. What is life like on the street? Mm-hmm. What's life like in the apartment mm-hmm. or you know wherever we might go? There is a fair bit online if folks are media-oriented online, uh, like YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and these different things. There's quite a bit that expats are putting out there about their daily life. Have you recommended any of that for your family to kind of get them to, or not family, not just family, but anybody back home to get them kind of, to give them a visual view of what you're talking about? Not really. Part of me doesn't care if they mm. know or not. <laughs> and part of me Fair is enough. such a recluse in terms of media and, mm. um, like, I kind of live under a rock myself anyway, and I'm, I'm very technologically challenged, and <laughs> so, no, I mean, it's not something I've really tapped into. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've used those resources a minimal amount, especially um, I've wanted to, to go live and work in the Middle East, and I've, you know, kind of used mm-hmm. blogs about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, I'm looking into traveling in Pakistan, so mm-hmm. I was interested about what white American females were saying about right. that. But in general... No, it's not something I've tapped into much, but it's a good it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Hey, mom, dad, read this blog. But then they'll say, "Why don't you have a blog?" Because <laughs> I'm busy, mom. Because I'm, I'm working full time and doing a master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. 
Have they visited? Have you asked them to visit? They they considered it for a short time. Yeah. They um, were only thinking they could possibly do it on one of those tours. But when you take one of those tours, every moment is regimented. Yeah. And I said, well, what's the point? Like, you don't want to come to China anyway. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't actually have any free time to see me. And yeah. so, no. And I've actually told them they were feeling guilty. They thought they should come. Yeah. I told them just not to because I don't believe they would do well with it. Yeah. And I don't want to put them under that kind of stress. So, and no, they didn't, I mean, they didn't come when I lived in Mexico either. They, they did want to come to the Vatican though when I lived in Spain. So I met them, (laughs) met them there. (laughs) They didn't want to come to Spain. That wasn't Catholic enough, but. Spain is not Catholic enough. I'm more of a joke, but. Okay. (laughs) Wait a minute. No, Spain didn't interest yeah. him. They weren't interested. No, Spain. There's nothing good in Spain. Oh, uh, there was a Muslim uh, side for a while, wasn't there? I don't yes, think so they that. even knew about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it was more just the Vatican was the shining light of God. You know, the Holy Spirit was like flying in circles around it. And so, you know, wow. that. So, yeah, so I met them in, yeah. in Rome and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. went to the Vatican together. Yeah. But that's, that's yeah, that's the only abroad yeah. time I've ever spent with them. Wow. Fair enough. Oh, my family doesn't travel. Yeah, yeah. Being from overseas, they don't travel. So, yeah. Americans don't get a lot of time off. It's all those things. And children and Yeah, exactly. Children and health and and money. A lot of things, yeah. My vision for this podcast? Uh, Yeah. I don't think about making plans. I've gone gone in every direction in this conversation. No, 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 no. You've hit on so many things related to that. I mean, we're, we're talking about everything that I was thinking we would talk about. But there's... There's this, when I first started it, my vision was, okay, in that first year, despite how much you travel, in that first year of living overseas, there's an intensity that doesn't seem to exist in the second year, third year, even if you move to another country and have the first year there. It's just, that first time is crazy, I think, for me, for some people I've talked to, there's that intensity. What, so I I envisioned, sorry, (laughs) having something either for people who were about to make the leap to their first country. Right. So they could see the light at the end of the tunnel, so they could go, okay, it's going to be intense, I'm ready, I've got some outlets, I've got some people to talk to, okay, let's go. And so they could kind of just know that it was going to be a little rocky, and they'd get through it, and it'd be really, really worth it. That was my not-so-hidden agenda. Also for the folks in their first year, right? so they could listen to it and kind of go, okay, there's an end to the intensity. And then it will just, there'll be moments where it'll be hard, but it won't be as hard as this. I don't know if we're doing any of that. <laughs> I, you know, I, can, I can comment on that a bit. So, but, I mean, I yeah. think my my journey is not so much the intensity in terms of the day-to-day. Oh, how do you figure out which way to go? How do you take the metro? Mm-hmm. I mean, not so much that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first actual living abroad experience was in Madrid, and it was, it was relatively straightforward. Yeah. And honestly, I was so happy. <laughs> my my journey was more one of, of liberation. And mm. you, you go through all these challenges mm. in terms of logistics. Mm-hmm. And many people struggle is logistical. Mm-hmm. And I think what gets overlooked is the change in yourself. When you're so focused on, oh my god, I went through all these crazy funny stories just, you know, and I got lost and I ended mm. up here and this happened and that happened. Mm-hmm. And you forget Get that this first year living abroad, you must call into question everything about yourself. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, all the values around you are different. All the experiences, all the people, every moment, yeah. every way, everything you eat is different. So who are you? Yeah. And you will question. Mm-hmm. 
So for anyone listening who you know is thinking about living abroad, you will question every aspect of yourself. Yeah. You will you will change. Yeah. And in that first year, you will change a lot, even if you're not realizing it, because you're so distracted by figuring everything out. You know. Yeah. But you will. Yeah. And I guess one of the points that I want to make is even if those changes have some negativity to them in terms of, of conflict or or feeling confused or feeling lost mm-hmm. or why can't I talk to my friends back home anymore? Right. I, we feel so different from each other. And losing friends. I lost friends over things like this. Sure. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. Because the changes are, are only growth. Mm-hmm. The, you, there's no regression. You know, you're not... You're not becoming somehow a less complete person by living abroad. You're not becoming less American. You're becoming more global mm-hmm. or less wherever you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And that's the true essence of the first year abroad, in my opinion. That is beautiful. <laughs> that is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 clearly, clearly you have a thing with words. <laughs> But yeah, and I think that's why when you see first-year expats and you can you can kind of see that struggle happening. Yes, you can. And you're like, are you going to stay? Are you going to stay? Are you going to stay? Yeah. Because if you stay, you can push through it. But if you yes. leave, you might have to do that somewhere else or you might even have to do that at home. Well, that's the other side. But that's, that's the thing. It does, I think it brings it out of you whether you want to or not. <laughs> and I think at any age, when you go abroad for the first time and stay, you know, you're living there. I think it does bring that. It does make you face that, all of that. Yeah, yeah you're facing daily challenges mm-hmm. that you wouldn't face. And so mm-hmm. so you come to China for the first time, you try to get on the metro, and people are pushing you out when you're trying to get in. <laughs> okay, so who are you? Are you the person that all of a sudden gets angry and explodes at people? Are you mm-hmm. the person that lets it go? Or are you mm-hmm. mean, you make casual, rude comments, and then keep going? Like, who are you, Yeah. right? And it yeah. defines you, and it makes you question. Yeah. You know all all these different things that you just never had to deal with before. You've been back to well, your Madrid was the first time you lived overseas. Yeah, you went back home. Yeah, that. I had to finish university still. What was harder when you when you first had to confront you know your identity when you were living overseas the first time, or when you went back and saw your old self, so to speak? Going back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like already there were so many things that had changed about me mm-hmm. and, and people's comments about those changes mm-hmm. and the way people interacted with me. Mm-hmm. And then even more when I spent a year abroad in Latin America to a point where I just felt so isolated. I felt that nobody could understand. And, mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, that's the negativity or that's the downside of of these abroad experiences, mm-hmm. right? That, I mean, I came back to a world that I just could not connect to. I just couldn't mm-hmm. get into it at all. Yeah. And I mean, hence why I ended up going to Berkeley. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, really, my, my very best friend from school, I, you know, we never really spoke again after yeah. I came back from Latin America because she couldn't accept the person that I'd become. Yeah. And she wanted me to change back into who I had been in high school. Yeah. She had never left, and she never wanted me to leave either. Right, right, right. And so someone who I cared a lot about was mm-hmm. gone from my life. And I still have nightmares about that, and that was hard. Ten, oh, more than ten years ago now. Yeah. 
So yeah, going abroad can bring about unexpected conflict. In a lot of ways, the poem is about that, about these conflicts. It's still, it's still worth it. I think it's massively it's, uh, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's so hard in so many ways, but it's so good in so many ways. <laughs> oh, I wrote down early on when you were still reading something about a cocoon. <laughs> I don't know because I just it sounded like you were kind of fighting your way out. That sounds yeah. rather accurate. I think yeah. I really had to fight. I mean, I was so um, boistered mm. as a child. I mean, really, like I grew up with very one perspective mm. of the mm. world, very unicultural, mm -hmm. one right belief system, one way of seeing things, everything, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I really did have to fight yeah. to get out, and, and to the negative comments and, and behaviors of so many people who surrounded me. Yep. I was thinking emotionally, but... Yes, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it goes back even further than that. Yeah, so it was a long gestation period. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've gone the full trajectory to the, the beauty of the expat life and the freedom and the financial relaxation that can happen if you're yes. in the right place at the right time with the right skills and all those kinds of things the people that you meet the diversity of people that you meet being exposed to other cultures and then the downside of the expat guilt and the, the internal struggles and the really really having to face your demons and sort yourself out and all that kind of stuff <sighs> is there any emotion we've left out <laughs> i don't know joy i don't joy. know uh, <laughs> i mean I'll just add, if we were talking about the emotions, love. Yeah. Because I think that staying home, I wouldn't have found love the way that I found it being abroad with someone who's gone through the same struggles, with someone who I can connect with because we've, mm -hmm. we've both fought to get out and we've both become more complete people because of our experiences. So yeah, there we go. We left that one up to make the sound. Yeah, the podcast. I'll say cheers <laughs> to that. Seriously married another American abroad, but someone who had gone through that while I was going through that in a different country and then we met in another country, like a different country. Right. So yeah, 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 that understood that experience. Because going home between countries and dating and not being no. able to share that part of me that I liked and thinking that we could go to another country after leaving the US, they were just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was not working. Even if they had traveled, like the thought of living overseas. different. Even yeah. if they weren't American. Like I, I tried all kinds of different things. <laughs> I was like, this is not working. I'm gonna have to go back. I wanna go back anyway, but that'll be a plus. And yeah, it it, it makes sense. And it, well, I didn't even do it because it made sense. It was just, yeah. It's right, It connect, there, there's yeah. that connection. Yeah. But it's, it's I, mean, I think one of the points we've made is that there's this connection that you can have with people who have mm -hmm. these similar experiences, mm -hmm. and that that's where that disconnect is with people back home sometimes because yeah. they they just don't understand. You yeah. can't talk with them the same way as you can with someone else yeah. who's had these experiences. So yeah, like that's a struggle, but that's yeah. also so beautiful when you find whether it's a friend or or whatever more yeah. who has these experiences and who can truly connect yeah. to over these things. Yeah. Agreed, agreed, agreed. <laughs> any final thoughts on any of this? <sighs> um, <laughs> on, on all the many things. I think we've really hit all the main points. I mean, the, the poem is one of losing oneself to find oneself mm -hmm. and questioning everything about the way you grew up and becoming who you're meant to be. Mm -hmm. And for the people listening, 
as we've said before, going abroad is going to change so much. But I, I can't imagine any other way of living. Yeah. Every moment I was home, I was dreaming of being abroad. And, and maybe some people don't feel that strongly about mm -hmm. it, but when you have this experience, you challenge yourself to go beyond your walls mm -hmm. that have been around you for your whole life. The challenges will be real, mm -hmm. but the rewards are as well. So much higher than I expected. Yeah. So much more rewarding than I expected. Yeah. I agree. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for sharing <laughs> Thank you. all of this. I know we dove right in and went super intimate, and I really appreciate you sharing this with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great. guest on this podcast so please do contact me if you have a first year experience that you'd like to reflect on in your current day state you don't have to currently still be living in the same place there does need to be some time distance between when you experienced that country and that first year experience and where you are now it doesn't need to be as long as my my 13 or 14 years is from this experience but there does need to be some time after the first year ended contact me for more details i would love to hash that out with you and have you be a guest on this podcast thank you so much for listening to this episode of expat rewind more coming your way soon